At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it, but what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths, and if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? Well, we're in our series, uh, Church, Why Bother? And uh, it's a super uh, long series. We're going to be in it all the way through March, but it's an awesome series. I'm super excited about it as we look at church in general and why bother? Why, be, why bother being the church? Why bother gathering? Why bother coming to church? Why bother being a part of a community like this? Um, why bother? And, and like I said last week, through this last couple years with um, COVID and all the things that have happened, we've had to stay home, we've been locked up, all this stuff. Many of us have had the question, why bother? Why actually bother to be a part of a church? We're walking through Next Steps Pathway today, and it's our membership class, and we're going to have it next week as well. And so this is a part of our membership for you to join the community, join the body of believers in membership, and be a part of the church and find out where God's gifted you and how he can use you in the church and what he wants for you and all these things that come along with being a part of the body. And I would urge you, I would, I would prod you to, to be a part, if you're not a member, to go to this class. We're going to have another one in February, and we're going to try to do them every month because I want people to join in the body of believers and be a part of the church. And so we're looking at this series, and it's in 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be there today. But we're looking at the church in which Paul, again, he's writing, it's one of his epistles, he's writing a letter to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus there, and Paul has left him there, and he's charging him today with this specific charge to hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast the gospel. They simply forgot what they were actually supposed to do. The old saying that, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I know growing up on the farm, we constantly heard that. Like, man, if it ain't broke, don't touch it. Don't try to fix something on it because you fix it, then all of a sudden it is broke, right? So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. In the same way, the gospel is not broke, and they're trying to fix it. And as we study and dig into Paul's letter to Timothy, we're looking at the church itself. Paul wants to encourage Timothy in his calling in ministry as a pastor, and help him organize and lead the church well. But if he was going to lead the church well, he had to stay focused and centered on what was important. He had to guard against taking his eyes off of the truth or off of the real truth of the gospel. If the church was truly going to grow and flourish, they had to hold fast to the gospel. And so Paul charges uh, to Timothy, he, his charge to Timothy was to keep the church centered around the gospel. He had to hold fast to the gospel. And so we should ask then, what's the result? What results when we hold fast to the gospel? What's the result of it? Or maybe we should ask, why should we hold fast to the gospel? What's the purpose in it? Let me point out three things that Paul had for us today in the next 60 minutes. I'm just joking. <laughs> but seriously, there's a lot. But the first thing he points out to us is this. 
Hold the gospel so sincere faith and love may abound. Now, look at chapter 1, verse 3 through uh, 11. It says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Then he says in verse 5, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they are, uh, or they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and, and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for uh, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The first reason we have for holding fast the gospel is so that sincere faith may abound. This is Paul's initial concern and reason for leaving Timothy in the city of Ephesus. Instead of taking him uh, with him to Macedonia on his journey, he leaves him in the city to pastor the church. And the reason Timothy gets left is because there are some in the community, there are certain people who have a different agenda or a different doctrine to share. This group of certain persons is identified as teaching different doctrine and devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation. In other words, they were wrapped up in the conspiracy theory theology of their day and and it was concerning to Paul. Paul was concerned about the church so much so that he leaves Timothy behind and he charges him and commands him to command these people to stop. For Paul, the goal is that love would actually abound. Where he says here, he says, the aim of our charge is love. He wanted them to understand the love that he was talking about. He wanted them to understand what it meant to actually love. What is this love? It's love for God first, and then for those around us. As it says in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, we know this as the great command. It says this, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first command. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, on these two commands, Depend all the law and the prophets. See, here's the thing. The love that we have for God out of, our, out of the salvation that you've experienced or received should fuel you to love others. The actual understanding that we actually have been saved by grace through faith should fuel us to actually love others around us, love our neighbors. John Piper says it this way, love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. Not 
meets the needs of others because, like, we have to. It gladly meets the needs of others. It's our faith in Jesus as our personal Savior that gives us joy, and out of that joy, our love for others is seen. This is the gospel, guys. It's, it's the, the faith that we put in Jesus. It's our relationship with him that we actually love him. And out of the joy that we have in that, it actually flows out of us and we should love those around us. And so Paul, or John chapter 13, 35 says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Can I ask you, how do people see you? It says, by this, people will know. How do people look at you? How do people see you? What would they say about you? Would they say that you're loving? That you have a joy? That you're a follower of Jesus? Paul explains this love in three inner works. He says this first, that love would issue from a pure heart. What does he mean here? A pure heart that's made clean through the work of Jesus who died It says this in Titus 2.14, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. By, By the salvation, by the grace of God, we've been made pure. We have a pure heart. The second thing, he says this. He says, love would come from a good and clear conscience. A person's inner awareness or uh, the sense of one's moral actions. When we actually have a clear conscience, we can actually flow out of that the love that we have. When one has a clear conscience, true love can operate, right? The third thing he says is this love comes from a sincere faith. The object of this love that Paul speaks about is God and the object of sincere faith is God as well. So to summarize, Paul states his concern in verse 6 that these certain persons, these people that were speaking in this way, by their deviation from the gospel, they're, they're swerving from these, have ended up in pride or vain uh, discussion, arrogance, desiring to be teachers of the law, and ignorance without understanding. They didn't really understand what they were saying. That will undermine real love, true faith, and lives that display and advance the gospel in the world. See, these certain people, these certain persons, they were approaching the law or or the Old Testament in the wrong way. They were actually looking at it how they shouldn't have. They weren't trying to abandon the truth of the gospel, really. It was the saving grace. But their speculations were rather smothering the gospel and the truth of it. What they were speculating, the things that they were trying to say, were actually smothering the gospel. So Paul in verse 8 through 11 wants to point out that this teaching takes away from the gospel because the law, the Old Testament scriptures are all pointed to Christ. The Old Testament scriptures show sinners that, or their sin and how lawless and disobedient they are. How ungodly and sinners they are. So that they'll seek a savior, right? It points to Christ, as it says in verse 10 and 11. The law, in its right use, is aimed at whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel. Its aim is to show us our need and point us to the Savior who is the blessed God. See, the thing is, is we have to follow what Scripture says. 
God is the center of our salvation through His Son who died on the cross for you and I. And we have to actually keep that as a center in our life. And so it's important to hold fast to the gospel because that is where true love for God comes from, right? That's where the true love comes from. We can't add what we want to it. We can't take away what we want from it. We actually have to look at it in its entirety and believe it and live it. Think about baking. Think about making something. My my daughters love to bake. When you leave an ingredient out of um, something you're making, I'm not not a baker, but if you leave an ingredient out, I'm pretty sure that it's not going to be what it's supposed to be, right? A couple months ago, my, my daughters, they, they love to bake, and they were making cookies, I think it was. And Ella, she's standing there, and my wife's like, oh, just let them, you know, kind of do what they want, and they're making whatever they want. They've gotten to the point where they, they do it on their own now, and I'm a little concerned. Um, but Kristen says it's fine. Um, but it, they, they get stuff all over, and then there's a mess, and it's like, okay, maybe we should maybe guide them a little bit. But no, they're, they're in there, and they're baking these cookies, and, and all of a sudden, um, I'm standing in the kitchen, and Ella's like, Dad, this batter does not look right. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, it looks like liquid. And it was just liquid. And I'm like, yeah, that don't look like cookies at all. Like, I don't know what you're doing. I've I've eaten cookie batter and it's not liquid, right? (laughs) So she's like looking at it and I'm looking through the stuff with her. And we found out, like, we went through the ingredients and she's like, there was this place where she was supposed to add like a tablespoon and she added cups. And so it was like this super, super like soupy, liquid uh, batter. We had to throw the whole thing out and start over, right? In the same way, if we fail to hold fast to the gospel, we may have some form of religion. We may have some form of, of Christianity, but we don't have the real thing. We, we don't have the truth. We don't have the grace. We don't have the gospel as God intended it to be. Don't try to fix what ain't broke. Man, if you're a person that's driven by speculation that's centered on controversy, conspiracy, or codes, then you aren't promoting sincere and true faith and abounding love. You're actually promoting pride, division, and the lack of love. We have to come back to the clarity of the gospel that the scripture teach, that we're all sinners in need of a savior And it says, yet God in his love sent his son, Jesus. And the truth of the gospel is this, that he sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life on this earth. And he walked a perfect life. And then he went to the cross and he died a death that you and I couldn't die. We couldn't actually do anything about our relationship with the father. And he mended that relationship with the father. And he gave his life on the cross for you and for I so that we can actually have eternity in heaven. And what happened next is incredible. They actually put him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He conquered it. And then what do we see? He actually ascended into heaven to prepare a place for you and for I for eternity. That's the truth of the gospel. And the Bible says this, anyone who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what we actually Follow, and we have to hold on to that gospel. The second thing that Paul points out to us is this. We hold the gospel so sinners may be saved. If we look in 
verse 12, it says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord uh, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages or of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here in verse 12 through 17, Paul gets into his story. And what I love, what I love about this is that. It's real in Paul's life. Why? Because of his personal life transformation, right? Because of what Jesus did in his life, it's real for for Paul. It's personal. He's experienced it himself, so he understands the importance and the weight of it. He knows the power of the gospel. And can I ask you this morning, do you understand the weight of it? Do you understand the, the power and the urgency of the gospel, is it real in your life? Do you actually understand the weight of it? And is it, is it something that you think about and it's important in your life? Is it real to us like it was Paul? He starts telling a story with the attitude of thankfulness. He says this, that he's thankful that he's given him strength. He's judged him faithfully. He's appointed him to, uh, to his service. But then he goes uh, into his past. He, he goes a little bit further. He says, he was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, uh, um, and an insolent, insolent opponent. And then he says this. He says, but. Even though. Even though all of these things are true about me. What does he say? I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. God has empowered him, has strengthened him to steward the gospel because of these things. And you might say to me, I feel like Paul. John, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through now. God can't use me. There's no way. But he said by his mercy, by his mercy and grace, he saved him. Paul understood that he was the object of God's mercy and grace, and we are too. In verse 15, Paul makes a statement here by saying this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel, right? That statement is the essence of the gospel message. And as Paul states this truth, he adds to it his own relationship as a sinner. He says this, of whom I am the foremost, the worst. 
He says, man, I'm the worst of the worst. Paul, again, recognizes the depravity in which he's been rescued from. He understands where he's been. He understands the sincerity or the, uh, the importance, the, uh, the weight of it. That he is the worst of the worst in his eyes, and he's been rescued from that. But right before he, this, he says this, and I love this. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That this is something you can trust in. This is something you can bank on. This is something that you can go all in and it's trustworthy. He then goes on in verse 16 to testify that even though I'm the worst, even I've received mercy. Why? He says, but I received mercy for, the, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul was saying here that he's an example of God's perfect patience and love, that even though he's the worst of the worst, even, even though he thinks in his eyes he's the worst of the worst, Jesus showed me grace and love and mercy so that anyone else who sees this, anyone else that's a sinner that actually has experienced this or sees it, can actually come to him and put their trust and faith in him because they see the example of what it is. No matter where you are, God will save you. Because of the grace that Paul experienced, it leads him to a place of praise. He says this in verse 17, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The truth is this, church. When you experience God's grace firsthand, when you actually experience that, it changes the way we respond. It changes the way we act. We can only respond in worship and praise towards our Father when we actually completely understand the weight and the importance of what has just happened. And what do we do out of that? It's not just like, man, this is the free gift of salvation that I've given to you, and, and I'm going to hold it here, and this is it, and I want this, and, and, and you know, I'm not going to tell anyone about it because it's mine, right? Right? That's not what God says. He says, hey, I want you to be an example. I want you to go out and be an example to the community. Be example to the sinners. Be example to the lost. And bring them into this experience that you've had. We want to invite others into it. Have you ever experienced leading someone to Jesus? I want you to just think about that. If you haven't, man, I pray that one day you will. I pray that, that you would actually pray this week and say, God, put someone in my life that I can actually go and, and talk about Jesus with. Maybe walk through a hard time and just show them love. It's not like, man, I got to open up the Bible and I got to share all this Romans road with them just because, you know, I think they're not a believer and I think they're a sinner. So I'm going to share this all and I'm going to cram it down their throat. No, I hope that God puts someone in your place in front of you where you can show them the love of Jesus. I remember I've been able to lead a few people to, to Jesus in my day, but um, it, was, it was in Haiti that is the most um, memorable one for me. I was in Haiti, and I had been there a few times, but we were on the side of this mountain, and there was this um, 
little old lady, and she was sitting next to this mud hut, and she was on the porch, and she had this huge bowl, and she's making this food, and they tell you when you go there, they're like, listen, don't eat the food. We'll get you food back at the place. You're going to get sick if you eat it, and I'm like, well, you know, then God will take care of that, so I'm going to go ahead and ask. So I went up to this little old lady, and I'm, I'm, I sat down next to her, and there was an interpreter with me, and they we're start talking, and I look at her, and I say, hey, can I try some of your food? And she had like this rice and chicken and all this stuff. And so she dishes it up and she gives it to me. She's like, absolutely. And she was so excited that I was going to eat that. And I ate it and it was fine and I never died. Don't worry. Um, but, but I was talking to her and I, I might have been sitting there for a half hour, 45 minutes. And I was, she was unloading about her life and how her husband she had walked away from because he was a witch doctor and he was taking children and and sacrificing them and all these morbid things that were happening. And she's unloading all of this onto me and and I'm talking to her through this interpreter and and I started to just share my life and share what God had done in my life. And I started to share with her the gospel and and it was so incredible as she, her face just lit up and she was like, oh, I want that. I didn't even ask ask her like, hey, do you want this? She's like, no, I, I want that. And I was able to pray with her. And lead her to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what happened next, man, she was like, I'm like, so you need, you know, you should be baptized. And she's like, yeah, let's do this. And I remember she's like, well, I'm like, well, there's nowhere to baptize you. I don't, I don't know where we're going to do this. We're on the side of the mountain. She's like, down the, down the mountain there, there's a river. And so we went down to this river and, and there, it was maybe like ankle deep. And, and I was like, I can't baptize you in this, uh, unfortunately. Like, we got to figure this out. So the, the village all came down and they built this dam and, and they started puddling this water to where it was almost waist deep and we were able to like have the whole village come down there and I was able to, to baptize this woman and she was so happy the life transformation happened in that moment to where she actually gave her life to Jesus she actually started a relationship with Jesus and this is what we need to do is invite others into a relationship with Jesus and invite them into the experience we've had. And so I ask the question today, how do you respond? When we look at our story, we all have one. When we look at our story, we see three things. We see where we've come from, who were we before Christ, and what has he rescued me from? We see where we are now, how has his mercy and grace changed us? How, how do we respond to the free gift that um, we've been given that we don't deserve? And then we see where we are headed, right? How do we want to invite others into it? Is it important to us that we are headed to an eternity and there's others that are lost? See, the personal nature of the gospel is important. We should know our story and we and be able to articulate these three things to those around us. When people ask us what's different, we should be able to articulate. And for some of you, you're like, man, I was saved at eight years old, and I lived a rebel life before that. And then by God's grace, he saved me, and and it's been awesome, and I've been through this. For some of you, you came to Jesus as an adult, and you're like, man, you would not believe the things that I've been through. They're real. For some of you, You just need to accept Jesus today. But what does your story look like? 
Do you share it with people? Do you help people see it like Paul did? Like that it was an example to those around us that we actually invite people into the gospel. Man, my prayer is that we would fill this place with people and go out into our communities and ask people to come into this building so that sinners would come and be saved. So that people would come and know Jesus. Not that we would just gather each week and we would sit here and say, you know what, I'm going to hear another boring message by John and then I'm going to go out and go home and live my life and then next week I'll probably come back and maybe hear another boring message by John, but maybe I'll skip. Who knows? Now my prayer would be that we would be the church, that we would go out, that we would charge others to come in and see what we have and what they're missing. Man, yeah, that's exciting, right? Holding the gospel is how we see the good news reach the lost. The third thing I want to I add real quick is this. It's hold the gospel so we don't shipwreck our lives. It says this in verse 18. This charge I entrusted to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. We see right away in verse 18 that Paul is charging Timothy. He's entrusting something to him. He's, he's giving him something. He, he's laying before Timothy the responsibility, the obligation to hold fast the gospel and lead the church. He says to Timothy, this is why I left you in Ephesus. I wanted you to lead the church. And then he says this, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. See, apparently, there had been previously, previous prophecies made about Timothy, although we don't know exactly what they were. We know that when Timothy was recruited by Paul, that he was well-spoken of, as it says in Acts 16, it says, he was well-spoken of by brothers of Lystra and Iconium. I'm probably butchering that. We know that he was given spiritual gifts, probably the gift of, of preaching and exhortation. We know that a prophecy was made about him. We know that elders laid hands on him, um, on, on a, basically commissioning him as a pastor. How do we know all these things? We know all these things because this. In 1 Timothy 4.14, it says this, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy was an outstanding, faithful guy, and Paul is calling him to remember these things, remember the things that were said about you, and you're commissioning to preach the word. Remember to be faithful to your calling. Remember how God has gifted you. Live them out. Be strong. Remember, Timothy. Why? He says this, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Or in other words, that you may hold fast the gospel. He wants Timothy to be prepared for the warfare. He wants Timothy to be prepared for the temptation. And Paul tells Timothy to stay faithful to his ministry in which he's been entrusted. Be faithful to the calling. He wants Timothy to hold the gospel, to hold the line. Because there will be uh, uh, an opposition. There will be temptation that comes along. Just like these certain persons who have wandered away from Christ. You know, the thing is, is we can all probably remember those people in our lives that said something to us. 
that charged us, that moved us, that made us want to do something great, right? Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a grandparent, maybe it was a coach in high school or college, maybe it was a teacher that said something to you. But all throughout us, we have those people, I think, that we can all think of that said something to us that motivated us to do something great. Man, I'm still living on a high that the Lions beat the Packers, right? I don't know how many of you guys are. But I'm still living on this high that the Lions actually beat the Packers. And, I, I, you know, they went into the, the, the locker room at halftime. They were down 9-6. Uh, I, I got to imagine that Dan Campbell went in there, and he probably was like, hey, guys, you know, we're down. I don't think we're going to be able to do this. So just go back out and play. <laughs> That's probably not what, what, what it was. If you look at the guy, he's – sometimes I'm wondering what drug he's on. But he's like – he probably was in there like, guys, come on, here we go. We got to go back out there and win. Remember the things that we learned. Remember the plays that we have. Remember all the wins that we've had up until this point. Let's go. I'm going to charge you to go out. Let's win this game. And they end up winning, which praise God, you know. I'm just going to say it. God was in that place. <clears throat> but I, I, I think a lot about this passage and how Timothy was charged and called to hold fast the gospel. In the same way God has called and charged myself to do the same thing. That, that I've been commissioned to hold fast the gospel to you guys. That, that this is important, that I have to understand the weight of it and the truth in it. That I have to hold fast to it. And the truth is, is this, that he's called you as believers to do the same thing. We all have to hold fast the gospel and speak the truth to the lost world, right? And how do we do this? Paul points out how the warfare is waged. He says this, holding faith and a good conscience. Just as Timothy came to faith, just as the gospel proclaimed and teaches, we continue on by faith being purified by the blood of Jesus. And in the last part of this passage, Paul points to this negative example of these certain persons. And he says, these certain persons have literally shipwrecked their faith. Imagine a shipwreck, right? Imagine this shipwreck that's now abandoned. They've shipwrecked their faith. And what does he say about them? He says, I've handed them over to Satan. Now that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? But Paul isn't indicating that these men appear to be part, like, he didn't, he didn't want to actually, like, hand them over to Satan, but he is. It's not that he wanted to just rid them of his, uh, in his life. He wants them to actually be restored. He wants them to go and, and, and deal with this issue and, and deal with this problem in their life to, to be excommunicated from the community, from the body of believers. He uses the same language as he did in 1 Corinthians 5.5 5, where he said this, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul's intent here was that they would repent and be restored to the fold. It wasn't that he wanted Satan to take over them, but he had this refining that he wanted to happen. The point that Paul is making to Timothy is that he's been given a great responsibility and stewardship in the gospel. And eventually the temptation will come to abandon it. 
But by remembering his calling and the negative example of those who rejected the gospel, he can avoid making a shipwreck himself of his own faith. And I ask you, maybe you know somebody today that you're like, man, they've made a shipwreck of their faith. Maybe you've seen it firsthand. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're heading down a path and you're like, man, I'm headed for a shipwreck and and I need to actually do a 180 and get out of this. I need to actually leave what I'm doing and stop. And for you, maybe that's you today. You're in a season where you actually are headed for a shipwreck. You need to remember the things you know are right and good and the truth of the gospel. And I'll close with this. Man, just like Timothy, God has called each and every one of us. Not just me, not just Timothy, each and every one of us as the church to hold fast the gospel. We have to remember the word of God, the the truth that's been taught to us, that's been spoken over us. That it's it's us as a church. As I said, I want to see these seats filled with sinners that, that, that need a savior. And you may, you may say, John, you don't know. Like, I can't do that. Like, I, I feel really inadequate. I feel, you know, my life is a shambles. Me too. You may say like, John, I, like, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know my past. You don't know. God will never use me. I can't do these things. Do you know my past? See, the thing is, is that God has a purpose for each and every one of you in this room. And it's to spread the word of God. If you put your faith and trust in, in him as a believer, you are meant to go out and share that gospel that you've been given that free gift that you've been given. It's not so that you can come in here and sit and hear a message by me and go out. It's that we can actually be the hands and feet of Christ, that we can actually go out into our community and speak the name of Jesus and love those people. Man, if there's something I get excited about, again, it's about people coming to Jesus and and the outreach of it. And so, man, can we be a church like that? Amen? Man, if we do that, we can see a revival in the city, trust me, and the surrounding. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace, your mercy that Paul speaks about, Lord. We thank you that you saved us, Lord, that you have given us the free gift of salvation. Lord, if there's one in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't leave here today without it. Lord, may we be a church that is charged to hold fast the gospel, charged to go out into our community and share the love of Jesus with others. That God, we'd be passionate about it, that we'd understand in our own lives the weight and the importance of the gospel, that it wouldn't just be something that we hold inside and we're like, yeah, that's a decision I made many years ago. That we'd remember what it did to our lives and the transformation so that we can show love to our community, God. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for your love and your son. And we ask all of this in your name. 
thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today. Thanks.